Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. Amen. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads as we come to God's Word. Father, we worship you. We've asked for your fire to fall down upon us, igniting our hearts, Lord igniting our love for you and our love for your word. And so may your word speak to us and may the speaker decrease now so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to keep my notes near me today because I know I never use them, but uh, I'm realizing the time and uh, we, uh, we don't want to miss out on some of what God might have to say to us today. We've been thinking about uh, when God turns up. It's an amazing topic and uh, we uh, have, I've been using a, a sort of illustration uh, of, uh, of a, a sort of fragrance bottle, CK1, uh, and talking about how God turning up his presence, the fragrance of his presence turning up in amazing ways and how uh, every one of these encounters talks about covenant or kingdom, God's covenant relationship with us or his kingdom, his rule over us, all pointing to the one, the promised one who would come to fulfill all things, all pointing to Jesus. But today, we're not going to go around the houses, we're going to go straight to Jesus. We're, uh, we're, not, we're not passing go, we're not collecting 200 pounds, that doesn't work, does it? That's going to jail. But... Jesus is in jail as well. He's in the jail as well, isn't he? Jesus is there. He's there. Amen. God's at work even in the jails in, in our nation. I, wonderful stories about that. Uh, but we're going straight to Jesus um, today. And uh, here, if you open your Bibles at Mark chapter 9, I'm going to um, uh, read. The context is Jesus has taken three of his disciples uh, Peter, James, and John, and he'd taken them up a mountain, and they'd seen Jesus transformed, transfigured before them. He looked totally different. Suddenly they saw him as he truly was, or a glimpse of him as he truly was, dazzling white. They saw a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, the Son uh, of God. They're up there, um, but the other nine disciples then are up there. They're down on the ground, their boots on the ground. The other nine disciples that uh, I won't name for you because you know them already, don't you, all the other, all the other nine ones. And uh, they're down on the ground, and by all accounts, things are not going well for them. So let's pick up the story. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them, and as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked, and a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And so we've got a desperate situation here. We have a father and his poor son, and he's demon-possessed, and it has really awful effects in the family, and the father is distressed, and the disciples, he brings, he brings the son for Jesus, and he sees some of Jesus' disciples, and he says, where's Jesus? And, and the disciples, I guess, said, well, we can deal with this, because Jesus had already sent them out two by two, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick and to cast out demons, and when they came back, they all rejoiced. They said, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
They spoke and declared the name of Jesus, and the demons fled. But in this, ta- this case, in this time, it didn't happen. They called on the name of Jesus, and they tried to cast out this demon, and they couldn't do it. And there are teachers of the law, the scribes, the intelligentsia. They're all there. They're watching this. They're following Jesus and his disciples around because they want to catch him out. And now they're saying, and they're able to start an argument. It doesn't tell us in the Bible what they were arguing about, but you don't need to be a genius to read between the lines. The, 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 the intelligentsia, they're all looking at them and going, oh, they can't do it. And they're shouting to the crowds, these guys are not able to cast out the demon out of this boy. They are not from God. Don't listen to a word they say. And it doesn't really matter uh, that the disciples started arguing back and started defending the name of Jesus. It was never going to change uh, their minds because they were caught in circular reasoning. These scribes, these teachers of the law, because they'd already decided if they can't do it, If they can't perform the miracles, if they can't cast out demons, then they are not from God, and therefore they should be ignored, and they can tell the people that. But if they could do it, well, they would immediately say, well, it's by the prince of demons, by Satan himself, that they're casting out demons. That's where they're getting all their power from. And so they're just caught in this circular reasoning. And then Jesus turns up, verse 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him, to, the word is welcome him. Jesus turns up, and they're overwhelmed with wonder. That's what happens when Jesus turns up. (laughs) When Jesus really turns up in a situation, people are suddenly overwhelmed. Sometimes they don't know what to do. I remember in my own testimony of coming to faith just before my 16th birthday and being uh, in Tanzania in East Africa and underneath a mosquito net and Jesus turning up in that room in the middle of the night and me physically shaking. I didn't see him, but I knew Jesus was there. And it was the moment I invited Jesus into my life. Invited Jesus into my life and he came in was filled with such wonder, such wonder at Jesus, something all of you can do. When was the last time that you were overwhelmed with wonder at Jesus turning up? When was the last time you were overwhelmed at Jesus? This crowd was overwhelmed. It can happen for you because there's promises from Jesus, very famous promises. You know them. Promises like Revelation 3.20, where it says, Jesus himself says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. You You can do that. You can invite Jesus in, and you can be overwhelmed with awe and wonder. We can apply it not just to ourselves. We can apply it to the church as well because it's written to a church, a church that's become lukewarm in Laodicea. And Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, and he's saying to the whole church, if you'll open the door to me, I'll I'll come in. I love what Eugene Peterson says about that verse. He says, says, this gives me great hope. He's a a Presbyterian, uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the the message. Uh, He was a Presbyterian minister all his life. He says, this gives me great hope 
for my church, he said. He said, it means that any church, no matter how far they've strayed, how far gone they've gone, how far they've turned away from the Word of God, that if they would open their ears and hear me knocking, if they'd open the door, I'll come in again. That gives us great hope for the Church of Scotland. Jesus stands at the door. And if, if people would hear the call and would open the door to Jesus again, he'll come in. That's the promise. It's a promise. We, can't, we can apply it into our marriages as well. I'm talking about marriage th- th- this morning. Jesus turned up in the middle of an argument here. One of the wonderful things that uh, Colleen and I just uh, received from doing Lamb was realizing that we can bring Jesus and invite Jesus by his spirit into every moment of our marriage, every moment. The the super highs and the most intimate moments and also into the lows, even into the argument bits. You can invite Jesus in and when Jesus comes in, he can restore things. Jesus can come in and he can restore awe and wonder. We read, Jesus turns up. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Jesus said, let's read on. What are you arguing with them about? And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit, has robbed him of his speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. This is a distressing situation. I just imagine you're that father. That's your son. And that's what you're living with every day. And you're just desperate. You're desperate. There must be some cure. This can't go on like, like this. I can't watch my poor son. And when Jesus asks him how long has he been like this, the father says it's ever since he was a wee boy. This is, the, this is all through, through his life. And then the, the father adds this, that a sort of detail, he says, whenever he's near fire or water, whenever he's near things that could cause him actual bodily harm or even put his life at risk, then these seizures seem to take hold of him. Now, I want to answer the question that uh, everyone who reads this asks first. How, how do they know he's demon-possessed? How do they know? Uh, I come from a family of uh, psychiatric nurses. My father, my mother, my brother, all trained as psychiatric nurses. We've had this discussion over many, many years. We've asked God about it. We've studied the scriptures about it. How do they know He's demon-possessed. Because if you've got a medical background, you may be reading this scripture, reading these verses, and going, well, I know what's wrong with him. He's got epilepsy or something like that. It's not demon-possessed. That's what we're told in uh, universities. Liberal scholars, they tell us, well, he's just got, just got, it's just got epilepsy. That's what's causing the, the seizures. But... They know not the power of God, nor the word of God. 
Because actually the Bible itself addresses that. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, um, you'll see this verse here. In fact, I'll read it if we're going to the next uh, screen. Uh, Mark 4, can you, can you bring up the next screen? Here we go. It, this is Mark 4:24. It says, news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him, to Jesus, all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. So it makes a distinction. So don't jump too quickly to say, oh, well, we nowadays, we know it's not, nobody's demon-possessed. This, this can help us to have a, a biblical worldview that neither sees demons under every rock and behind every disease or the opposite extreme where we say, well, that, that never, that never happened. Maybe it happened in the time of Jesus, but that never happens today. Do you see the, do you see the distinction we need a biblical worldview. There's a, there's a detail that uh, the Father added that I mentioned before, that whenever the Son would go near a body of water, a river, or it'd go near fire, suddenly he'd start manifesting and throw himself into the fire. It must have been so agony for the Father, just wanting his Son healed. In, in my uh, limited experience with demonic things, when uh, people have asked us, phoned us, and asked us to come and, and de deal with things, and I've always taken someone, either from the ministry team or an elder, uh, along with me, not something we go into alone, uh, although it is something that can be dealt with alone and that, but it's just not wise um, to do that. But in my limited experience, it does seem that when uh, there is demonic things involved, it's often, but by no means always, often involves self-harm. It involves those things that tend towards doing real damage to yourself. But no matter what is going on or what the diagnosis is, Jesus is equipped to deal with them all because the Bible says he healed them all. It didn't matter whether they were demon-possessed or whether they were an epileptic or they were paralyzed, whatever it was, Jesus is equipped to deal with them all. Ultimately, because we're dealing here with spiritual things, we're dealing with spiritual warfare, these things have to be dealt with and discerned spiritually. You can't just look at the outward symptoms. There can be the very same symptoms and they could have a different root, the Bible says. You could have all exactly the same symptoms. So don't jump quickly to a conclusion because in the Bible there was sometimes the same symptoms. What it needs to be is spiritually diagnosed. That's not just true of uh, demonic spirits, of evil spirits, but also of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. It has to be discerned uh, spiritual things when they're at work, and angelic things, they have to be discerned spiritually. There is a, a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians, if we go on to the next screen. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There has to be an element of spiritual discernment here, but Jesus is able to deal with them all. There is power in the name of Jesus. 
genuinely power in the name of Jesus. We were, um, but if you use the name of Jesus as kind of like a magic trick, sort of magic word, you might end up in a situation like the disciples where they use the name of Jesus, but they're just not able to do it. Um, I was uh, in the, minister, uh, the pastor's prayer right across Edinburgh and the Lothians this week, and one of the pastors there, Tom Freely, he was sharing about a trip to Russia and um, uh, an Indian uh, Christian evangelist was visiting Russia and thousands and thousands of people at this rally, and he was preaching the gospel. And he began to notice every time, uh, as he was preaching this Indian evangelist, every time he said the name Jesus, he would hear it just weeping and, and wailing. And this kept going on to the point where he stopped preaching his sermon, and he just started speaking the name of Jesus over the crowd, and people just began to just fall to the ground, prostrate on the ground before the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. It can work the other way as well. Uh, I, I, as I was preparing this, I was remembering a time uh, before I came to Holy Trinity and uh, at a previous church and um, a group of, uh, a, a group of, a nominating committee came to hear me preach and um, one of the elders in my church came to me afterwards and they said to me, Ian, I was watching them as you were preaching and all you preached about was Jesus, but every time you, you said the name Jesus, some of them physically winced away. I'm glad God didn't send me there. <laughs> but he could. He could send you somewhere like that. He could send you into the darkest place because there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Power in his name. Something's gone wrong here, though. And Jesus says these words. You unbelieving generation, verse 19. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I have a feeling that verse doesn't appear in any of the Bible apps, you know, of encouraging verses you get every day. <laughs> I love those apps. Get one on your phone. Brilliant. I love it all. I love, I'm with you. I love you. You're precious in my sight. You're honored in my sight. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Do not fear. Get the, you need to get lots of these verses into your life because God speaks them constantly in his word. But do not miss the warnings of Jesus. Maybe for every nine of those encouragements, you need one of the warnings of Jesus. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Somebody in here is thinking, and I guarantee I could read this to some of the young people, and they would be thinking in their head something like, um, Jesus not acting like Jesus there. <laughs> that doesn't sound like Jesus. Because there is a progressive lie that has infiltrated the church of Scotland and in Scotland and 
this lie is that there is a different Jesus to the one that we find in the pages of Scripture. There's another Jesus, a Jesus who affirms what we already think, who never calls us to change, unless it's somebody else who needs to change, who doesn't talk much about sin, who doesn't need to die in our place bearing the wrath of God. Just think how ridiculous that is. <laughs> that, 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 that we could read something in the Bible and our theology, because that's what we think about God, has gone so far that we could read something Jesus says and go, that, that, that doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> there is no other Jesus than the one that we find revealed in the pages of, of Scripture. He's the same Jesus, same yesterday, today, forever. And he's the one who did say, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Um, I've been married 17 years. And uh, Colleen can tell you how easy or not I am to live with, <laughs> with those 17 years. Okay, always got a smart answer, there we go. And the Holy Spirit. He's come to, he's come to live in me. And sometimes we've got to ask, how hard is it? for the Holy Spirit to dwell with me. Do you know how costly it is for Jesus to be a friend of sinners? I mean, I love that phrase, it's beautiful. Jesus is a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He hung out just with all those that people thought, well, Jesus would never hang out with me, he did. But do you know it was costly for him to do that? It wasn't Jesus going, going oh man, I just, I just love how they're just all so wonderful. You guys are just so wonderful. You are the best things inside sliced bread. That, that is not the type of love Jesus speaks about. Jesus' love is real gritty love. It's love that, that came from heaven to earth to dwell amongst us, and it was costly for Jesus to, to live with us. It's like, it's like Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and every day his spirit is grieved. For living there. Jesus comes down from heaven to earth and his spirit is grieved. You can sense it here. You unbelieving generation. Your spirit is grieved. How long will I put, 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 put up with you? But I've chosen to be with you because I love you. I've, I've chosen to stick by you because I love you and I'm never going to leave you and I'm not going to leave you in, in that state. If Jesus... Jesus had, if Jesus just loved me in that, oh, he just, just loves being around, just being around me, he'd have left me long ago. I'd have let him down too many times. I have let him down too many times. But it's not the way he loves He loves me with that gritty love that's never, committed love, that's never going to leave me despite me, despite living with me being really hard. He's going to be there. And my cry to him is, Lord, don't, don't let, me, 
don't let me be this unbelieving generation any longer. I want, I want to be the believing generation. How do we move from being an unbelieving generation to a believing generation? Well, I think, I think the father here in the story can show us how. Jesus asked the boy's father, how, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. I always find that very funny. If you can, of course I can. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. Are you glad that verse? I'm so glad that verse. That, that can help us as a church go from being an unbelieving generation to a believing generation of being able to come God. Because every Christian, every single one, if you've been following the Lord for any time, you have got doubts. There'll be doubts there. Maybe there's less doubts than when you started. For some of you, you might feel you have more doubts, more questions as you've, as you've delved into things. All of us have disappointments. You've had things that, that didn't go to plan. You've had people who you prayed for who didn't get healed. You'll have uh, people, um, family members who, who seem to be following God and then they fell away. You'll have friends who, who used to come to church and now they're, they're nowhere. They don't come to church uh, anymore. And you've gone through these, these times of disappointment and all of us have done that. And this is a prayer that you can pray to the Lord and you can come to him and say, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I need your help, Lord. I'm coming to you honestly. You can be honest. Be honest about your doubts. Be honest about, about your disappointments before Jesus. But don't grumble against him. Never, don't, don't, he hates grumbling. God hates grumbling. We know that from it. He hates it. If you're doubting, if you're disappointed, the problem is never on God's side. I promise you it won't be on God's side, so don't grumble against him. But you can bring him your doubts. You can bring him your disappointment. It's okay. You can be totally honest. You can be like this father who's desperate and cry out, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. There's just so much mixed up in there, but I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, Lord. And how did Jesus respond? I'm going to skip over some stuff. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. This is, this is Jesus um, you know, being spiritually discerned because he's only been told that the boy's mute. But Jesus, when he commands the spirit to come, it's a deaf and... We, yeah, anyway. It's spiritually discerned. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. I think that's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of the cross because, see, when Jesus is hanging from the cross and limp from those nails, and he's dead, looks dead down, and now it looks like evil has triumphed. It looks like every demon of hell is having a field day. It looks like Satan has triumphed as darkness descends in the middle of the day on Calvary. But on the third day, God the Father reaches down by his 
power, and by his power, he raises Jesus from the dead, raises him to his feet. Just as Jesus stoops down, and it looks like it's an unusual, unusual thing here, because usually when Jesus commands, it's, it's, it's just done. But here, there seems to be a bit of a fight, and, the, and it looks like the demonic is winning, and it le- everyone's going, the boy's dead. Appearances are that it's failure, but Jesus reaches down in his power. Jesus' salvation for the world looks like failure to the world until God reaches down by his power and raises his son from the dead. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power to raise us to life. There's lots more we can say about that, but I'm just going to stop there. And let's just bow our heads and just allow the name of Jesus, precious Jesus. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem, the royal crown, and crown him Lord of all. Lord, we want to put our trust in the power of God in every situation. We need you, Lord. We come with our doubts, our fears, our worries. We, we come for those moments where we've tried and we've failed and it's not worked out the way we planned. And we want to come to you like that father and say, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Lord Jesus, we need you to turn up. Turn up in situations where many are oppressed. Oppressed by demons and demonic forces. Putting themselves in terrible harm's way. Only you can deliver in such a situation. Only you can heal in such a situation. We call on the name of Jesus for our family, our friends, those we're worried about, those where there's those moments of discernment where we go, this, this is more than just ordinary things that we see. Something's going on here. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to take authority in your name. And Lord, take authority over each one of us You're in charge. Deliver us from evil. Lord, we pray every week, deliver us from the evil one. You can do this. May we go out of here seeing more clearly, hearing you more sensitively. May we go from here loving others in a more wonderful way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you, you're going to stick by us despite ourselves, despite even though we know it, we'd have given up on ourselves long ago, but you stick by us. Such is your great, gritty, unending love. Thank you, Jesus. Hear our prayers, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <laughs>